right up front, <clears throat> I want to say that my, my message is entitled, Without Friday, There Can Be No Sunday, which might sound quite obvious, especially for an actuary or just for the basic people around here. But what is good about Good Friday? <clears throat> I mean, when you, when you look at this, you, all we see is, is death and disillusionment and disappointment and, and, and people going, what just happened? When we look at scriptures about what is good on, about Good Friday, there's not a lot. I don't know why we call it Good Friday. It's actually, we should call it Ugly Friday. Because poor old Peter, if you remember the, the, the disciple, the apostle Peter, he's standing around a fire afterwards. Jesus told him that he's going to betray him. He goes, oh, rubbish. Because why? Because probably a few weeks before that, we have Matthew chapter 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says, no, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and die. He goes, no ways. No one's going to touch you. I will die before anyone hurts you. I know Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because he knew what the process was that God had called him to. But the point is, is that Peter was a man who understood this. And here he is standing himself, warming by the fire. Jesus has been arrested. And this person says to him, but aren't you one of these disciples? And he says, no, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the one whose ear he cut off, says to him, but didn't I not see you in the garden? In fact, didn't I see you cut off my friend's, my, my relative's ear? He denies it again, and then the rooster crows. And we all know the process of what Peter goes through. But I, I want us to go there for a moment. Because if you were Peter or one of the disciples, think about it. You've been with, Peter, you've been with Jesus for three years. You've seen the most unbelievable miracles, signs and wonders. And now he, here he is. He's dead. What do you do? Paul talks about the fact that 1 Corinthians 1.22 says, The Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and wisdom. So Peter had seen the power of Jesus the power of God flowed through him. He had seen the wisdom of Jesus as he came up against the Pharisees and all those Sadducees and all those other E's and everyone else. And here he is, he's speaking. He's, here, he's going, what's just happened? Jesus, why did you lack the wisdom of coming to Jerusalem knowing that you could be caught? Now you've been arrested. Now you're on the cross. What are we supposed to do? Why don't you call in your power the legions of angels that will sort this out? Think about what they're going through in that moment. Are, are you really God? Are you really the one who was supposed to free us from this Roman craziness of oppression? But now you're dead. How can God die? We, we understood. We, we thought that you, you were that one. And now, did I waste my time? I just spent three years. I was supposed to be fishing, doing my family business. But now I'm sitting with nothing. And not only nothing, I'm disappointed because I don't understand what's going on. I'm angry because I feel like I've been duped by you, Jesus. You said all of this stuff and it's not happening. And actually, I'm fearful because I'm, I'm fearful of my life because I might be arrested and crucified with you. And if we're honest, I think many of us have felt this way when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, isn't it? What are you doing, Lord? <laughs> what is going on? Will you say something? Will you do something? Jesus, where are you? Are you really God? See, and unfortunately, what we see in the context of our lives, and especially in our Western culture, is we see death and loss as an alien invasion into our normative life. And because we see death like that, because we see death in that way, we land up with 
the most unbelievable, unhelpful processes. Because, you know, I'm not just talking about death, death. I'm talking about things like, you know what I just did? I tried to change my PowerPoint on my computer. My word. Anyway, the point is, is that we, use, we lose our youth. And would you think that I turn 50 next year? I don't feel like I'm 50. But I, sometimes I do feel like I'm 50 when I'm trying to ride 94.7. And I hit 85 kilometers and I go, where's my body? It lies over the ocean. Bring back my body to me. But the, the point is, is like my body starts to fail. My body starts to get weak. And what we do is we fight against it. And now you're sure we can slow down getting old. We can slow down losing the strengths that we have in our bodies. But the fact is, is ultimately one day that's going to come to an end. And how do we deal with that? How do we go forward knowing that that's what's going to happen? And I've paged down to my notes, so I'm actually totally lost right now. I'll find it. Yeah, exactly. So we, we lose our dreams too, don't we? I mean, those things that you, maybe it's a career, maybe it's some kind of achievement. I remember I wanted to swim for South Africa, and I trained hard, and I did all that I could, but I got to a point where I realized, actually, I don't have the natural gifting. I've got limitations in my body. I'm only five foot, what, nine, maybe, five foot eight. Um, at that time, we had guys like Matt Biondi and, and then those kind of guys, Michal Gross from Germany, and they were six foot seven. They had feet the size of... 13, 14, they had hands that would cover my whole head, and I'm supposed to try and compete against them. Okay, disappointed, I didn't make it. Got to be careful that I don't try to live my life through my son, who's now doing really well. But he's made nationals, I never made nationals. But the fact is, those dreams had to die. We lose routines and stability, don't we? Especially when we have kids. Oh, my word. Just speak to those who've had kids lately. And then we have more. It's crazy, isn't it? But people, when they have their, before their first child, you can't tell them it. Because even if you told them, they wouldn't believe you. But then you know you've got to be around two weeks later because that's when it all hits the wall. And it literally does. It's like taking something and slapping it against the wall. And you just see people who have young children. They're coming to church. What about the loss of our wrong ideas of the church and God? We give our lives to a community and it's, it, it had wrong emphasis, wrong things in it. And then we come to a realization and we go, but we've just given our lives to that. We've given time and energy and now it's different. And we feel betrayed by, by the church, by church leadership, by, by even God himself, who doesn't betray us, but we feel betrayed by him. My theological stance, if I look 10 years ago to now, is very, very different. I used to think, yo, if I have a fight with Louise and I walk outside and the bus hits me, I'm going to hell. God had to bring me to a place of the assurance of my salvation. No, you're my son. No one will snatch me out your hand. You are a new creation. You are born of an imperishable seed. You've got your ticket to heaven, Gary, but now I want you to live out what I have for you here on earth. And I always fear about losing my salvation. So, what about these catastrophic losses? Some of you have had them. Unfortunately, we all have them. Maybe the death of a family member. Maybe there's a suicide within the family. Maybe there's adultery. And all of what happens with that, and divorce, and separation. 
What about a terminal illness? Maybe you've been retrenched. Maybe you've been betrayed by a really close friend. I think most of us can put our hands up for at least one of those. And we'll probably be at the end of our lives, be able to put our hands up for most of those. But ultimately, we find ourselves at death itself, knowing that we've got to give up everything and let go of everything because we can't take it with us. The problem with our culture is we don't like the pain of loss and death, do we? So what do we do? Well, we try and numb our pain. <laughs> we, we either deny it or we blame somebody else for it or we rationalize it or we just land up numbing it through addictions and through some other kind of avoidance technique. Some of us take drugs, some of us take alcohol, or some of us just want to get caught up in entertainment because if we go and we watch enough TV and we watch enough movies, we can escape the realities of our life and we don't have to deal with this pain because we, we just turn away from it and we try and run from it. Or we keep busy. Or we get other forms of ways in which we, we try and just make ourselves feel better. And the problem is, is we, we run around and, and we land up with Christian communities like this we have surface community because we've all got masks on. We've run away from our pain. We haven't dealt with it. And so what we do is we deal with each other. And when we deal with each other, if I've got a mask on and Dale's got a mask on, we're actually not dealing with who we are. We're dealing with the false self of who we are and nothing changes. And then ultimately we become dull. We become unresponsive to God and to others. And often we just descend into a place of depression. And then we are unresponsive to the realities around us. It's a somber moment to take stock of our lives. And are we in that place? The beautiful thing is that when Friday comes, it means the beginning, it's the beginning of change. The disciples didn't know that. And I know many of us don't know that. That when, when Friday comes, and I understand what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to say Friday is a metaphor when there is death and loss that is coming or has come. How do you deal with it? Because... You're sitting there in a place of disillusionment, disappointment, and pain. And how do we deal with this moment? Because we may know that Sunday is coming, or maybe you don't know that Sunday is coming. Certainly the disciples didn't know that, even though they'd been told that many, many times. But maybe you're at the cross right now. Maybe you are on a Friday right now. You've got things that you're facing. I know people in this community that are in a Friday. God, I don't understand. Why haven't you done this? I've felt this. I've sensed this. But now we're in this place. I've just been retrenched. I've had this. Ask Karen and his testimony right now. How long? Four years. Four years of waiting. And I know we walked it with him. So in the moment, yeah, God's called us to this. Woohoo! Go to speak to the boss. Oh, can't do it now. I've got a restraint of trade. Huh. Okay, God, maybe I didn't hear you. We'll talk about that in a moment. But maybe you've got a season or events that you are at a Friday moment. Maybe nothing's changing. Maybe you're kind of in this place. Maybe you need to go to Friday. Maybe you need to go to the cross. Maybe you need to be like Jesus, knowing that you have to face up to some stuff and you actually have to go to the cross and allow Friday to happen so that Sunday will be possible. And the thing is about our choices is our choice right now is do we allow these losses or these deaths to become terminal, which means it crushes our spirit and our life, or do we allow the transformation or the transforming power of the Spirit and of Jesus Christ to come and transform us into the depths that Christ wants to transform us into. See, transformation is only possible if we follow Jesus. It's not about fearing death. It's not about running away from pain. It's about actually dealing, going, coming to a place of facing up to what death is, not fearing it, 
And it's counterintuitive, isn't it? It's counterintuitive to go, like I remember when I was, I was younger, I don't know why I always did this. Where's my mom? But she'll vouch for this. I used to walk into the kitchen and touch the stove. Can you imagine what happened a few times? I don't know why I did that. I wanted to just check that it was not on. But now and again, I'd walk away with blisters on my fingers. Part of that process is, is, is to go and, and to uh, come to a place of not running away from our pain, but dealing with our pain before the Father. And the only way we can do that is through Jesus, to deal with the fear of death and to deal with our pain. And so this journey that Jesus had had two things. One is he processed his pain with his Father and with the others around him, his close friends. And secondly, what he did was he understood that the way to life is through death, through letting go. The pathway to resurrection is the crucifixion. The pathway to Sunday is through Friday. So let's have a quick look. So Jesus, he processes it. Here's the text, Matthew 26, 36 to 39. He brings his disciples after the Passover meal, and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's got Peter and the sons of Zebedee. And he says to them, I am overwhelmed with sorrow. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe some of you are in that place right now. You're going, I don't know what to do. I don't know which way to turn. I feel like I'm in a boxing ring. I turn this way, and I get smacked by Mark Tyson. I turn this way, and I get smacked by Ho- Vander Holyfield. I know that ages me a bit. I don't even know who the real guys are right now. I turn this way, and I get smacked by this person, Baby Jake, maybe. I, I don't know. Wherever I turn, they may be smaller or bigger, but I'm still getting punched. And remember, Baby Jake was this high, so guess where he's punching? Thanks, Shams. But we don't have a great theology for our emotions, do we? But here's Jesus expressing deep emotions to the point where he is sweating blood. And not only does he come and, and, and share that with, and please, what I'm saying is share with the right people. Process with the right people. Don't process with the wrong people. Process with the right people in terms of this, this thing. But what he does is he goes and he, he processes it with his mates. And then he, he goes a bit further and he comes before the Father. And you can see, going a bit farther, he fell on his face and he says, Father, if it's possible, take this from me. But not your will, not my will, but your will be done. You see, I think as a church, we've got a really bad theology on feelings. No, no, no. Cowboys don't cry, guys. Suck it up. Stop. We're about to go and embark on a journey of emotionally healthy spirituality, Pete Scazzaro's stuff around discipleship and deal with our emotions. Because really, if we're honest, the church has some great theologians, but we are infants when it comes to our emotional capacity. And that's why we see so many broken churches. Because we can't deal with conflict, we can't go forward, and we just all fall in on ourselves. So, God wants us to process our feelings when we are in a Friday moment with Him. Many of us don't do that. Because the problem is, is grieving is only possible if we pay attention to the, ag- the anger and the sadness that we feel. If one of your family members is sick with a terminal illness, if one of you, uh, you've lost a, a baby, if you're struggling to fall pregnant, if you're all of those things, we need to be going to God and saying, God, I don't understand this. I'm trying to work through this. Because too often what we do as Christians is we take these emotions and we stuff them in, and at some point they're going to pop. But actually, before they pop, often what happens is they leak out, and they leak out in ways because what we do is we really just become passive-aggressive. And so it's in our tone, the way we speak to people, the sarcastic remarks, the, the silent treatments, and even that ghastly thing called sulking. I still remember that moment when God showed me my sulkiness. 
I thought, is that me? That contorted, disgusting-looking man sitting there in the corner, not wanting to speak to his wife because she hurt him? And then I had to come before Louise and say, I repent. Because God is just showing me what I do in my sulkiness. I make it all about me, when actually I'm the one who actually needs to come and say sorry. And then Louise stops confronting me because I just sulk. So like I said, Jesus did this. He did this with the Father. And then we've got someone like Job. There's 35 chapters of Job doing this. Engaging his mates. And look, some of those mates were really unhelpful. But how's this for a text? If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. He was honest with God. Go to the Psalms and see how David, like two-thirds of the Psalms, are lament. But God, where are you? The wicked are succeeding. The righteous are being forsaken. What is going on, Lord? The world's gone mad. Who would think that the Australian cricket team would cheat? I don't know about you. I mean, on one level, I mean, who likes Australians, you know? But the point is, I'm, I'm teasing. I've got good mates of Australians. Even Paul Tartill's coming here next month. So don't, Paul, don't just take this off the... But the point is, it's like, yo, you go, ah, oh, Australia, no. we don't like them because they beat us so often. But I don't know if you've seen Steve Smith apologize. Go online. It's actually worth a look. There's true, there's true repentance there. So now it's time to allow this guy to heal and come back into a place of reconciliation with the community, with the country, with cricket globally. He's made a mistake, a big mistake, and he's going to pay for it, and there are consequences. If you go and sleep with your girlfriend and she falls pregnant, you can't go, oh, God, take away the, the baby. No, there's consequences. They're going to have a baby, and they're going to have to rear this child. He's going to have to deal with the, the consequences of his actions for the rest of his life, and he'll be known as the oak who was kept in a team that cheated. But where do we come to a place where we allow the forgiveness of God to flow? And I've gone totally off, not even in my notes. The point is that I found this thing. This, this moment that's happened to the Australian cricket team is quite a powerful depiction of whether or not we as Christians can follow a process of forgiveness when there's true repentance. He has Job shouting out these wild prayers. Think of David shouting out his wild prayers. God, what are you doing? Lord, don't do this. Where are you? He told God exactly what he was feeling. Are we doing that? Are we doing in those moments of the, of the Good Fridays? I'm sure he doubted. I'm sure Job wept. I'm sure he wondered where God was. I'm sure he was going, what has happened? But he did not avoid talking to God about the horrors and the predicament that confronted him in those moments. He spoke about it. And the hardest thing about death and loss, and the hardest thing about Good Friday, is you've got to go through Friday and you've got to go through Saturday before Resurrection Sunday comes. And so you're in this gap of disillusionment, despondency, God, where are you? What are you doing? How do we go about this? And I've already said how Peter and the disciples must have felt. God, where are you? Are you real? Are you around? We've prayed for healing, God. You're a God who heals and you're not healing. What are you doing? We're going to pray for people just now. Why? Because we've, people have come this morning feeling on their hearts that part of the, the, the crucifixion of Christ is by His stripes we are healed. Let's declare healing over those who are struggling in their bodies. My greatest challenge in following Jesus over, I couldn't believe it, when I, I actually wrote 30 years and then I realized, no, it's closer to 40 years, is waiting on God when things are confusing. God, what are you doing? No, because I prefer control. I'm like Abraham. 
who's the father of our faith. God, I'm almost 100 years old. This is Abraham. Um, you promised me a son. Um, oh, there's the maidservant. She's pretty, pretty hot. What do you think, Sarah? Oh, cool. Let's go. Ishmael produced. And we are suffering the consequences to Abraham trying to, trying to take control, not waiting patiently for the Lord to this day in the Middle East. Yet God calls us to a place of silence and solitude. You know, we, we, we're planning to do this emotionally healthy spiritually. One of the, the keys to it is, is taking time, like Jesus did, away from all of what's going down and just engaging God throughout the day and once a week taking 24 hours out. I guarantee you, who takes a 24-hour Sabbath every seven days? I know, because it's no longer a legal requirement. Yeah, but God put that into the rhythms of the creation of this earth. He worked six days. Did God need to rest? No, he doesn't. But he said, guys, watch me. I'm going to rest. This is what I want you to do. No, the Sabbath is made for you, Gary. Are you willing to have the faith to not do anything and not work and allow me to look after your work? There's a testimony of a man sitting here who said exactly that to me this year. No, I'm going to, my work is Sunday, but I'm going to come to church because I want to be part of the community and I'm going to trust that God, by faith, is going to work what he needs to do because I'm taking time to take a Sabbath to be with my family, to be with the community and engage God around those times. Us in Western society have lost the art, and it is an art, of taking time out and having a Sabbath. And he says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 37, verse 37. And then Jesus does the most crazy thing on the cross. One moment he's going, Lord, why have you forsaken me? And then when he dies, he goes, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Many of us are here. We're going, God, where are you? What are you doing? But he is demonstrating that the circumstances should not stop us from trusting in what his plan was. Into your hands I commit my spirit because I know Sunday's coming. I can't feel you. I feel like you've forsaken me. But you're there. And when we choose to process with our Father, when we choose to process with our friends, when we choose to process, what happens is, is faith rises up inside of us as we journey through this. And what we do is we know that God has spoken about the Sunday coming. And we wait for it. Even in the confusion. God, into your hands I commit my work. God, into your hands I commit what's happening. God, into your hands I commit this broken relationship. God, into your hands I commit where are you? What are you doing, God? Help me learn what you need to do. And then secondly, and to come into land is the way to life. Is through death. Without death, you can't have resurrection. And you know what? There's a good Friday in all of us, unfortunately. And yes, Easter is about the empty tomb, which we're going to celebrate on Sunday, but it's first about the cross. It's first about the pain, the disillusionment, all of that stuff that comes first. And Jesus said the following. And when he says very truly, he's going, actually, this is, you guys need to listen up. I tell you that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Like I've just said, is resurrection only comes after death. We have to let things go because what often happens is we're in a season. Can you imagine if Karen kept a hold of the season and just kept holding on to the season? He would never have been released into this. Too many of us want to be like the monkey. I'm not going to let go of this branch until I've got this one. But actually when we let go, we get caught up in this <laughs> uncertainty in between of the past and the new beginning that hasn't happened yet. And we go, what do we do? And the uncertainty of it. But you've got to let go here so that you can go forward. That requires faith. I always remember 
growing up in our home, and my mom and dad have just sold their home. So almost 50 years in the same home. And there used to be this amazing peach tree. We had many peaches off that. As I got older, the peaches weren't so great. But certainly throughout most of my, my, my childhood, what was amazing was round about August, those pink blossoms come. And, and, and you know, yeah, it was cold. It's still cold, but, but, but spring's coming. And we know we're going to have fruit. And so there's that gap, though, where you're waiting for the blossoms to come, and then you start to see the blossoms, and you know the fruits are coming. And really what we do is when we embrace the winter seasons, we put our roots in. And you know what the biggest fruit of a Friday moment is? Is our intimacy with the Father. If we choose to confront our pain, if we choose to confront all of that stuff and process with God the Father, guess what the fruit is? Our fruit is, is that we trust Him more, we have more faith, and we go forward and way more forward in terms of what God has called us into because of those moments. Because you know what happens? When you're going through from letting go here to your new beginning, you know what? It gets really dark, and then it gets dark. That's why it's called the long, dark night of the soul. Because you're in here, and you're going, I'm questioning what I believe. I'm questioning who you are, Jesus. I'm questioning, was I called to this? Did you say this? Am I really your son? Am I all of this kind of stuff? And in that moment, what you realize is you have to let go of all of our ideas that actually we're not powerful and we're not smart enough to do this. And we need to rely on this amazing father of ours who has made a way. And we discover that we just need to rely on the promises that he's spoken over us. Now, the likely reason that we fear death is that we were never made to die. We were never made to die. But when sin entered in this world... Sin caused everything to start to die. And we, were, we are called, Adam and Eve, even after the fall, are called to rule over. Rule over the fear of death. Have dominion. Have dominion over sin. Have dominion over the fear of death. And have dominion over Satan. And what happens with the fear of death, and we just sang about this, and I want to sing about it again, is like, thank you, we're no longer slaves to death. And fear. And sin. And the enemy called Satan. But many of us neutralize our faith and neutralize our lives because the problem is, is we are fearful of the future and we're not letting go of this branch until we get this one. And so we stay in the in-between and wonder why we never move into our inheritance like the Israelites did. They walked around for 40 years and only two of them moved in, Caleb and Joshua. Why? Because their fear kept them caught up in the wilderness rather than moving into their promised land that God had for them. I remember church planting, like when I first Went into ministry and, and people were talking about us church planting. I was like, oh my word, I can't do that. I, I can't do that, Lord. I don't have the faith to do that. But slowly what God did was he built faith in me to a point where I realized actually this is what God, and I stopped fearing about what could maybe not be. Rather, I had faith about what God wanted to do in the context of a local community. And look at us right now. We're in our own building. All because God decided this before the creation of this world. And so what I'm saying to you this morning is, are we able to? Because if you're fearing death, you're never going to move forward in God. You're going to fear. I remember one of my biggest fears was losing my child. I remember when we couldn't find our kids, I'd run to the pool first, expecting to see my kid at the bottom of the pool. God had to deal with that in me. And this is what the scripture says. It says, he too shared in their humanity so that his death, so through his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. 
So if we're not facing God, if we're not understanding what he's doing, that he's bringing us through Good Fridays to take us to Resurrection Sundays, we land up with this fear that actually causes a place of inertia within us, and we don't move into what he has for us. But we are called to rule over death, to rule over sin, and to rule over Satan. Because ultimately what will happen, Revelations 20, death will be thrown into the lake of fire. There will be a time when we are resurrected to new life. We get resurrected bodies. That's, yes, Resurrection Sunday. But the point is God has overcome death so that we can move into that place with the hope of no matter what goes on, the worst thing that can happen to me is I close my eyes and I wake up and I see Jesus. And then at the consummation of this age, when he comes back, I get a new body. And you know what? It doesn't have any youthful issues anymore. I'm not going to get old anymore. I'm going to live for eternity with my Father, not separated from Him because of what Jesus did, because He both paid the penalty for sin, and what He did is He overcome the power of sin, and we can walk in that here on earth today. So, ladies and gents, Friday is the road to Sunday. We're going to break bread now. We're going to pray for sick, the sick, (laughs) because it's from the enemy, it's from the devil. And the reality is, yes, Friday leads us to Sunday. But Jesus had to do it. We're no different. Maybe you are facing a Friday right now. Maybe you're not. Maybe there's a Friday coming. But what are you doing in that moment? Are you turning towards the Father, processing your emotions and your anger and your disappointments with Him, with the people around you that you know and you trust? Are you dealing with your fear of death so that you can understand that, yes, I'm in Friday, but I know that Sunday's coming? And traverse the in-between of the unknown. Because when we understand that Friday's here, change is coming. And when we do that, when we engage Jesus, when we, when we hold on to him through this process, we change. And we come out the end. And guess what? When that seed falls to the ground and we let go and we allow it to die and we, we deal with that loss, we move forward into the new life that God has for us.